0: Welcome to the New Books Network. This is Alim Mahabir, your host for this episode. We are grateful to be joined by Alejandro Portes and Ariel C. Armini. Alejandro Portes is Professor of Law and Distinguished Scholar of Arts and Sciences at the University of Miami. He is the Howard Harrison and Gabrielle S. Beck Professor of Sociology, Emeritus, and the Founding Director of the Center for Migration and Development at Princeton University. Cortez is also a member of the National Academy of Sciences and a former president of the American Sociological Association. His books include City on the Edge, The Transformation of Miami, and Immigrant America, A Portrait. Ariel C. Armini is Vice Chancellor for Global Affairs and Director of the University Center for International Studies at the University of Pittsburgh, where he is also a professor in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs. He was a fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, a Fulbright scholar at Nankai University, and a resident fellow at the Rockefeller Foundation Bellagio Center. His publications include The Dubious Link, Civic Engagement and Democratization, and with The Global Edge, Miami in the 21st Century. A very, very warm welcome to the podcast, Alejandro and Ariel very happy to be talking to you today about emerging global cities, origin, structure and significance. First off um, is a question I ask everyone who talks with us on this podcast. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourselves? What experiences prompted you to write the book we're featuring today?
1: Ariel? Well, I am originally from Argentina. I have a been living in in the united states um, since the early 1990s and um, uh, i have been um, a professor and a a university administrator in different universities and so when i um, went to the university of miami i had the great pleasure to meet alejandro and that's when we started talking about one specific project. And this was the idea that um, we, we wanted to write an, a book about Miami. He had published a very, very influential book about Miami um, uh, years um, before that conversation. And, uh, but Miami had changed dramatically since he had published that study. So we started talking about that, and that resulted in a book that, uh, um, that we wrote. And, uh, and the second part of that story, I will leave that to Alejandro on how that evolved into this book. And he can also tell us more about himself. <clears throat>
2: Well, um, I, am a prof- I am a retired professor at Princeton University, but still active at the University of Miami, where I also had the pleasure of meeting Professor Harmony. And we collaborated in various projects. I had the idea that Miami had changed enormously from the time of that I published my first book, City on the Edge, in 1992. And so we collaborated in writing The Global Edge, Miami in the 21st Century, published by the University of California Press in 2018. But afterwards, uh, we discovered that the story of Miami and how its relative position in the world economy uh, was not unique. There were other cities in other parts of the world that had a similar profile. We researched that, Ariel has traveled all over the world in his in his position as vice provost for international studies at Pittsburgh, and he had met a number of people in a number of cities. And I have done my share of traveling, so that led to the idea of extending the analysis that we had that we have published in the Global Edge in 2018 to other emerging global cities that we could identify. There were not many, but they were important in their relative regions. So that is, this is a a book in urban studies and in urban sociology that tries to advance what we believe is a novel thesis.
0: Well, the the history behind it seems to go back a lot of years. Um, I've I've read the book, and I must say I've enjoyed it a lot as someone who is an urban scholar and urban geographer. Um, so with that being said, uh, let's go into the meat of the matter, I suppose. C- uh, what exactly do you mean by emerging global cities and how do you define them uh, you know, for the purposes of the book? Well, let me
2: take that one first and uh, Ariel can supplement it. We began this idea because there is a st- established notion in urban sociology and urban studies of global cities. These are cities that, in a sense, transcends their national location to become coordinate, centers for coordination, investment, exchange of information on a global basis. We, operate, we all live in an integrated global system, and that global system requires centers for coordination between decision makers, key players, and uh, in order to exchange information and make the decisions that affect us all. The cities that were traditionally identified since the publication of Saskia Sassen's book, The Global City, uh, as those that play that key role in the global system were New York London, and Tokyo. And for many years, that that was it. That was what we understood. The other cities played a regional other roles, but the global cities that somehow transcended their national uh, location to be centers for coordination, economic, financial, uh, uh, cultural, uh, and intellectual were those three cities. What we came to discover is that there is there was room uh, in the world economy for uh, sent the cities, some selected cities that play a similar role at a regional level. They were not global in the sense that New York is, but they they had a, a similar role as centers for coordination, exchange of information, meetings, and so on, and investments in their respective regions. And Miami was one, which is not as not. It has increasingly been referred to as the capital of the Americas because it plays that role in vis-a-vis the the, the Western Hemisphere and especially in reaction in, in relation to Latin America and the Caribbean. And there are other, we could identify two other cities and only two that play similar roles. That were that were those were Dubai in the Middle East. Uh, play, playing a similar role as a center for trade information, uh, investments, and so on, and Singapore in Southeast Asia uh, becoming a, a coordinating center for that region of the world, and basically the the uh, the three cities share a number of attributes that we identified, and actually we could not identify many o- any other city that would be similar in this profile as rising global in the present world, world economy. Let me leave it at that and, and, and ask Ariel to continue.
1: Yes, uh, uh, let me uh, expand uh, on, on some of these ideas. Um, the emerging global cities that are the subject of our book uh, are located uh, geographically and financially at the edge of the world economy. And they have in common that they have left behind their industrial past or actually never had one, Uh, nor are they centers of high technology innovation. And um, as Alejandro pointed out and uh, expanding on that, instead, the pillars of their economies tend to imitate those of the established global cities that he mentioned banking and financial institutions, transportation and commerce on a world scale, construction and real estate speculation and tourism. And another interesting aspect um, that uh, uh, we may have a chance to talk more later is that the class structure of these places is Increasingly polarized between capital owners, managers, investors, and skilled professionals in a multiplicity of services and a semi-proletariat hired for low wages and on a temporary basis. And the national and ethnic origins of these groups vary significantly across these cities.
0: Right. um, So... One of the teams that, uh, uh, one of the sort of rhetoric you would have used in the book is, and you would have mentioned it just now, um, Alejandro and Ariel, is the idea of the, these cities being on the edge. Um, that's something I, I picked up on. And to expand um, also the, the sort of um, topics you would have talked about in the book, you also talked about um, global hopefuls, um, cities that maybe are hoping to, to reach that edge themselves, could you talk more on this?
2: Well, I think that uh, we have we explored the fact that in the present world, uh, many cities want to asp- aspire to a similar role, or in a sense of being global, and they attempt to. Um, Advertise themselves and attract both physical capital and human capital. By that I mean the the presence of of very uh, creative and highly trained personnel to themselves. Uh, so it's it's really a a global race uh, between um, not not individuals but between cities to to acquire uh, this kind of profile. Uh, but for reasons that we explain in the book, uh, it is difficult. It is difficult to, to reach that, that, uh, that position of globality. And for example, you have enormous cities like, uh, like Sao Paulo in Brazil, Uh, uh, like a number of Indian cities that are very large but do not play a a coordinating and central role in their respective regions. So it is not size only that matters. There are other conditions that are are important for a a city to acquire this kind of visibility and and attract to itself um, capital in the financial sense and also in the human sense. And that is the story of the book. That is, we analyze this uh, what these conditions are. And on the second part of the book, largely authored by Ariel, uh, we uh, supplement the study of these emerging global cities to the figure that, that, that was coined there of global hopefuls. That is, cities that at one point or another were poised to occupy a similar central position in the world economy, but for different reasons that are, that are tied to the fact that they did not meet uh, some of the conditions that we had, uh, we had identified in, in Miami, Dubai, and Singapore did not do so. So there are three or four of those cities that are analyzed in detail to provide a contrast to what had been the story of Miami, Singapore, and Dubai.
1: So this is very interesting. Um, and, and let me uh, tell you a little bit more about this, uh, um, inserting also my, my personal experiences. Thanks to my, my role at the University of Pittsburgh as Vice Chancellor for Global Affairs, I get to travel worldwide. And in my conversations with leaders in city government, economic development agencies, businesses, universities, and nonprofits throughout the world, I've encountered striking similarities. These leaders, as Alejandro was saying, want to attract banks, corporations, investors, young professionals, and entrepreneurs from around the world. They want to brand their places, their cities, so that they acquire a global appeal Joining the top rank of global financial centers and and occupying a super regional position in the economy. So they participate in global networks, uh, bringing cities into conversation with each other. These interactions, uh, which I've observed firsthand in meetings held in Sao Paulo, Mumbai, uh, Nairobi, among other locations, really create mental maps of best cities that influence planning at the local level. And so as part of this global dynamic, cities aim to continuously reinvent themselves to acquire global status, seeking to implement lessons learned from other cities that represent successful successful variations of the global city model. And this is why we use the term global hopefuls that Alejandro defined, uh, and these cities that at one point or another were were poised to attain positions of uh, global importance, but but failed to do so. And something that I want to highlight is that our intention is not to create vocabulary to expand the hierarchical ranking of cities, but to move past the hierarchy and analyze which phenomena create Other kinds of global spaces and how they matter on a global stage.
0: I'm glad you um, mentioned that last point on the sort of this um, creation of a hierarchical structure, a a sort of um, hegemony. Um, I I think um, it's something you would have brought up in this book. I'm wondering if you can speak more on how. the discussion that you would have done in the book, how it sort of um, moves away from that hierarchical structure. Um, Because um, many scholars would argue that um, the the sort of discourse, um, it is often done to the detriment of other cities um, in the global south and sort of invisibilizes them. Um, Get a comment on that.
2: Well, as Ariel mentioned, There had been a school of thought, uh, the school of uh, of research uh, based on ranking cities according to different metrics, their size, their investments, and so on. But these rankings uh, do not uh, are are uh, are vacuous. They are um, they don't provide any kind of uh, of uh, of detailed information about what what leads to cities occupying different roles in the world economy and what are the dynamics of it. I will give you, I will try to synthesize the conditions that, uh, that we find in the cities that in the emerging global cities that are difficult to find elsewhere. One is a geographic position. The three of them they generally are ports or located by the sea so that they can uh, create enormous ports for uh, commercial traffic that goes beyond themselves. And those three cities that we have identified do have those ports. Um, uh, Port Miami, Jebel Ali in Dubai, uh, and Singapore is an, are enormous. The, but geographical situation is not enough because otherwise there would be many cities located by the coast. Uh, the, other significant, the other two significant uh, uh, features that that are so characteristic of the series first the um, the, pre- the, the existence of a of a reliable legal judicial system for the protection of property. So that both corporations and individuals interested in invest in investing and protecting their money, be they by depositing in bank accounts or financial instruments or by investing in real estate, have confidence that they will that their investments will not be lost or will not be will not decline in value because of the policies of a regime. Both all three cities have very stable legal judicial system that inspire confidence in the region. and that is why the well-to-do in their respective areas, escaping insecurity and instability in their own countries tend to often put their money, be they in real estate or in banking investment in these three cities. And by the way, all three have enormous banking financial centers precisely to locate and house uh, these kinds of investments. And finally, I think that one what one finds in these cities is the presence of a charismatic leader with an iron will to, um, or leaders to lead their city, uh, to project it in the global eco- uh, economy, even if they started from positions of of great inferiority and insignificance. One of the most telling uh, aspects of the story is that these three cities that are highlighted in this book were nowhere a quarter of a century ago. Nobody paid, that is, uh, Singapore was a collection of fishing villages in the South Pacific. Uh, Dubai was just sand and uh, desert and water, an insignificant emirate. In uh, in the Ritz in the in the uh, in the Persian Gulf, and Miami was just a winter uh, resort for the well-to-do in the Northeast, but had no other function. And yet, from those position, that very modest position, the activities of key actors in all three cities, plus the other characteristics that I mentioned, managed to catapult them into the situation of relative regional prominence in which they find themselves today.
1: And I think that uh, uh, your, your point um, uh, is, is really, really important in, that in, in the sense that the, the stories told in this book show that in an age of uh, glorification of Silicon Valley, for example, and all with major engineering feats, it is possible to create innovative urban projects in the periphery at the age the edge of the global economy. The cities we focused on, as we were explaining, uh, should not be measured against global cities like New York or London. They are a very different type of entity. And that's why we decided to you know, create these their own uh, nomenclature. And um, the other thing that is important to highlight is that These urban case case studies, emerging global cities and global hopefuls, remind us that the development of the 21st century city not only reflects the transformations of the capitalist system, but also the diverse impacts of a world of image. So these peripheral cities were not destined to achieve financial and commercial centrality, but they did. And... This is a very, very important story to tell.
0: I'm glad you touched on that point of image, Ariel, because it ties into another question I, I wanted to ask. Because um, we, we often see um, cultural products um, being really um, uh, identifiable, you know, with a given city, for example, Nollywood, I think in, in Lagos, or Nigeria, Bollywood in India, um, cities in India, it, it contributes a, 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 in many ways to the aspirations of becoming a, a global city. It sort of sends out this perception and this image in the minds of others uh, around the world. Um, So, uh, why is that so important? Why is image so important um, maybe to, to gain that status of being a global city? So, let me uh, uh, start
1: with that and then Alejandro will will continue. Um, The the branding of cities is absolutely central um, in our times. Um, you gave, you know, uh, some great examples in uh, the film industry, and uh, something that uh, um, we discussed in the chapter on Legos in Nigeria. Um, and uh, recently, I I published an opinion piece in the Miami Herald that talks about the recent deal um, with uh, Lionel Messi joining the Inter Miami um, soccer team and, and talking about the two brands, the Messi brand and the Miami brand coming together. What does this mean? This means uh, that um, these cities, in addition to what we mentioned in terms of trade, Um, financial and banking services, real estate, also pay attention to cultural events, sports events, film, music, because this is absolutely central to projecting their image, their brands. Um, There are many examples. uh, For example, Art uh, Basel in Miami um, so this is why, for example, the the Messi uh, phenomenon is so important, and it's going to be hugely important for the image for developing even further the image and brand of Miami. Uh,
2: supplementing that, uh, the, the, the remarks by by Ariel on this. I mean, that is, we live in a competitive world in which increasingly not only is this world increasingly interrelated, but that competition has been, that, is, that used to be based on the production of things during the industrial era, so that the more industrial cities were of, often seen as the most prominent industrial locations and so on, have been substituted by the production of symbols. We live in a in a in a world in which the the generation of ideas of symbols and so on is fundamental. And what these cities and so on have have done is to is to work in this in at the symbolic level of what they of what they reflect and how they are. That's why, for example, the Sheikh uh, the, Al-Makt, the Sheikh al-Maktoum the in Dubai. Uh, lost no time in building the la- the tallest building in the world, the Burj Al Khalifa, precisely to call attention to what the the city represents. Uh, nobody lives in the that, that I know that lives in that in in that uh, in that building is not. It is there to represent something. It's a symbol. Of the aspirations and the importance, uh, the importance of, that the city has, and so certainly Miami, from the soccer team to a number of other developments that have occurred, the, symb- the symbolic realm the, the, is very important both in the sense of calling attention to this importance of the city and also attracting capital. And attracting people who had, uh, Richard Florida calls the creative classes to themselves, uh, there had been a significant migration to of highly skilled uh, uh, technological and professional personnel to these cities that drive, in a sense, their um, their initiatives and so on. But uh, by and large, uh, I would contrast this. That is the of course we live in a world of uh in which we use things everybody has a, a, a everybody has a, a, an intelligent phone these days you cannot live without it and everybody has a television and a car and on. but the places where these things these physical things are produced are not necessarily the place that are central to the global economy because they, they, though the production of these things can be decentralized to places in the in the global periphery. The, the the important thing is where they are conceived. Where are the ideas that go into the physical things that we use? That is, it is the ideas, including, for example, this podcast. And where it comes, somebody had to invent uh, this uh, uh, this symbol, this this way of. For, for people to interact symbolically. So by and large, cities that not only up, uh, try to brand themselves, but they try to brand themselves not through necessary things, but through symbols that, that become a representative of their worth and become attractive to, uh, for others to invest their money in and sometimes come to live in them
0: it's like it's almost like a, a soft power almost well, I, I saw it as that you know with that um intangible or abstract idea of a city um bringing um tangible things in place like people moving there like as you mentioned the creative class um being able to attract not only people but also um capital and as you said like everything is a symbol everything is a a brand these days um but as you said that um Symbolic power symbols are uh, also subject to change in terms of how people interpret um, them, and one uh, and you could see that with the example that you would have gave with Hong Kong in the symbolic power, its power or uh, its status as a global city mentioned in the book um, has been in question due to changes in. Its geopolitical position. Could, um, could you tell me why you chose to focus on Hong Kong? Yeah. And, so,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely, um, and I, I would I would uh, ask um, Alejandro to take on on the specific decision on Hong Kong. But let me frame that, and uh, if I may, go beyond you know these symbolic dimension. Please um, do. Yeah if if we think about you know the if you tell me you know um, going back uh, to the beginning um, our book tells three stories and so far we've we've talked about two of those stories so we talked about the first of these stories which focuses on the emergence and transformation of Miami Dubai and Singapore as emerging global cities second we talked about the story of cities who Uh, which have the resources to become thriving, prominent cities, but have not been yet able to reach a globalized position. And we study three cities, two contemporary stories, um, São Paulo and Lagos, and one story, the story of New Orleans, a city that in the past was destined to have this position. And this is what we call global hopefuls. Now, lastly, The third story is a story that goes beyond the symbolic dimension, and it's the story about what's happening in the changes of some cities and the future of these cities, both, both emerging globals and global hopefuls, and how three dimensions, climate change, inequality, and politics, threaten the pillars on which the aspirations for global status of these cities stand. And in this context is where the example of Hong Kong is fascinating because, yes, it is symbolic, but at the same time, there are very, very concrete, very specific reasons why the status of Hong Kong is changing.
2: I think that complementing that, uh, Hong Kong was already a, a, an emerging global city, much b- better consolidated than Singapore, uh, in terms of attracting capital and popul and skilled uh, professionals and so on. To itself, for many years, it was the the real regional center of uh, South uh, South Asia, and. Uh, a, this this uh, this role has been increasingly compromised by the Chinese uh, the communist part, the Chinese communist takeover of the city uh, because among other that is certainly that that communist takeover does not change the geographical location of Hong Kong it is the same but it does change the second condition that we were talking about that is the question of safety. And predictability of uh, a, of uh, of corporate and individual investments these days, what we are we are seeing is an exodus of corporations, firms, individuals, and a very and uh, a very limited inflow of new investments or new uh, new talent into hong kong why because the the relative uh, certainty provided by british law when hong kong was a british colony and so on has ceased to be and uh, i would uh, and uh, people actually are both corporations and individuals are very aware that under uh, under chinese communist rule or under communist rule anywhere in the world the the safety and certainty of their investments uh uh are, can be changed from one day to the another because of the political will of the of the leadership, and uh, that when that happens, I think that the status, the position of, of relative prominence of the city in the world is compromised, which is this, in a sense, the sad story uh, of Hong Kong. Uh, the last com- that is actually the, last, the interesting thing is that the beneficiary of of the tragedy of Hong Kong in recent years have been largely Singapore. Because many of the the corporations and the investments that were based in Hong Kong have moved there, uh, re- thereby reinforcing the role of Singapore as the regional global as a global city in the
0: region. It's, it's interesting that uh, the decline of one um, global city leads to the development of another. And, uh, Along with Singapore, um, what's also interesting when you compare Singapore and Hong Kong is that there is um, a sort of parallel um, in terms of a a sort of authoritarian uh, political leadership. Singapore is probably not on par with that that of China. Um, um, Definitely not. But there was extremely strong political will and powers exercised um, by the governing body of that city-state and under um, Lee Kuan Yew to to bring about um, Singapore's um, tremendous um, development potential. I mean, the political will of um, um, China's government as well, we've seen tremendous um, development in in cities um, throughout China. What, What I'm wondering, um, given given that, and I think Alejandro mentioned also just how uh, powerful political will and iron will can be um, to develop in a global city, you know, is that, um, is, is that worth it? Is that a model that um, maybe we, we should copy or other cities should mirror? Um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I, I think that this is where we enter into a fascinating territory because um, we um, one thing that it's very clear for us in our study is that we don't say that any of the cities are models to pursue. We are very clear that uh, we identify the elements that, as Alejandro uh, very clearly uh, described that, the elements that led to the emergence of this particular type of global city. uh, But we don't say this is the recipe that cities around the world should um, pursue. And one important element is that uh, there are important trade-offs in these cities when it comes to aspects such as democratic politics, um, the um, uh, respect for individual and civil rights. Um, so um, these are aspects that are very complicated about these cities, um, One additional element that I find fascinating um, is that uh, Dubai uh, is um, promoting um, the idea of absolute complete surveillance of the entire city in order to make this city a city where there is absolutely no crime. So with the use of Technology, um, facial recognition programs, uh, identification cameras, etc. etc. The idea that Dubai has is to monitor the entire city all the time. Well, some people may find that very appealing to live in the scene in a city where there is no crime, but at the same time, of course. These racist issues about transparency, oversight for the way in which surveillance technologies are used and the potential for abuse and other elements. So, what we are going to start seeing is that different people, different publics, different audiences, uh, different uh, groups of consumers are going to be looking for different models. And some people may choose um, the Dubai model and saying, I don't mind being in a city that is 100% surveilled by this technology because I appreciate the absolute lack of or non-existence of crime. And other people will say, I find this completely unacceptable. So... It ranges from politics and the issue particularly of democratic politics all the way to these kind of examples about surveillance in the city.
2: Well, I guess that we are approaching the end of this uh, conversation and following what Ariel has said very well. I think that, uh, Alim, we actually... Uh, resisted the temptation of uh, of writing a cookbook that is of writing a book about how particular urban places could what they should do in order to rise up in the global economy and and so on we pre we that is told the that is avoided that by noting that the stories of these three cities of how they rose to prominence in the last quarter of a century or so are very, very different and depend on their part, the particular characteristics of their histories that may not be reproducible Anywhere, you cannot have another Sheikh Maktoum. You can may not have another uh, leader like Sing, like Yu, or you cannot have a, a a class of exile bankers that led the way in uh, in Miami. That those are uh, historical. Uh, Contingencies rather than uh, than necessities, and the other part that we did uh, to avoid that is to point out to the fact that the recency of the rise of these cities also makes their relative status problematic, because as Ariel pointed out, there are a number of day of looming dangers, precisely because they are not they lack all of them lack certain elements. For example, Singapore is not a model democracy. It, It it builds itself as a democracy, but the ruling party never loses an election. And the, the ruler now is the, the, the son of, uh, of the founder. And uh, of course, Dubai is not a democracy. It's an autocracy. It's a, uh, a led by a sheikh. And Miami had been very much influenced by uh, by the politics of uh, the right-wing uh uh, militants by the by the uh, by the Cuban exiles who were also in the self protagonists of the story of the race uh, of the race of this economic uh, rise of the city. So they are not in a sense shining models of uh, nice things that people that that um, that leaders would do in order to promote their cities. As Ariel said, I think that many people would prefer to live uh in uh, in chicago or philadelphia or paris than in dubai uh despite the centrality of that, that 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 particular country in the middle east so it is our story is not a story uh, of necessarily all, all only of celebration of course there is elements of celebration in the remarkable rise to prominence of this trio of cities but uh, I think that we have to be aware a serious analysis of urban processes that together with those merits and those achievements, there are a number of dangers and a number of problems that uh, that have to be taken into account for a full understanding of the characteristics of each of these rising metropolis.
0: I'm glad you, you didn't do a, a cookbook. I don't think I would have read that, but um, <laughs> I'm 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 glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, focusing or highlighting or encouraging one particular model it, or, or, of or how a city should be um, is definitely not something you you posit um, to to the um, readers uh, of this book. Um, but it, it's still. It's just something I, 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 you know, it crossed my mind that um, oftentimes people see um, these cities, they see the tremendous success um, that they've um, experienced, and I think uh, people are always looking to replicate um, that success and try to implement it where where they are where they are located. Oftentimes, you know, as you said, the right mm-hmm. conditions at the right place at the right time. It's so hard to achieve. You're never going to have another leak on you, but people may still, you know, try. So it's important to take those qualms um, into mind, you know.
2: Well, Ooh, absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead, you
1: No, uh, absolutely, and uh, this is something that uh, that that is 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 a reality. It's a fact, and um, and. And as I was saying earlier, um, I personally see that um, when I travel around the world, um, leaders uh, in cities and uh, business people, they are all looking for that particular recipe that will take their city to the next level. I mean, it's it's a really interesting phenomenon. The other aspect that I wanted to mentioned in relationship to this and also to the topic of uh, the challenges, future challenges for the cities that we really need to emphasize and we discuss in the book is climate change and Mm -hmm. how climate change is an important factor in the future of these cities and that these cities are approaching climate change in different ways and uh, and that's another realm um, for, you know, future uh, lessons uh, because some of these cities, uh, our 3 or cities, uh, um, some are doing interesting work in terms of addressing the challenges of climate change. And uh, in other cases, uh, we see a very problematic situation. So this is another aspect that is important. Climate change effects, eh, as we know, eh, are manifested in heat, eh, something that we are experiencing these months around the world, sea level rise, climate refugees, ecological grief, changes in identity of cities. And so this is another very, very, very important topic that we need to consider when we think about the future of these cities
2: well on the positive side i would say to con- that is as a concluding note that we identified two things that are good things uh, in all, in all three cities one is the stability and predictability of their legal judicial system that uh, that contrasts with what happens in in many parts of the world especially in the global south where regime changes leads to Confiscatory measures where people have no certainty about uh, about where their uh, economic uh, fate is going to come, whereas in this case, these these cities have uh, achieved the image of of guarantee of predictability that uh, that is so uh, very important as one. Argentine uh, respondent of ours in the earlier book said every day I I wake up and pick up the book and I give thanks to God that I don't live in my native country of Argentina and that the country and that the paper is not going to say that the currency had been devalued by 50% or that the, the, the pro- properties are subject to confiscation the other one the other characteristic that is a good thing by all by all by is the relative absence of corruption corruption kills institutions corruption is when you have a corrupt government that is functionaries that are for sales and so on you have you have no chance of rising anywhere uh, in the world corruption is what in a sense keeps many of the uh, poorer countries where they are and prevents them from becoming another Singapore or another Dubai. The fun- the, the 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 institutional uh, apparatus of the of the city and of the state have to be have to become immune. Uh, to corruption. That said, and following uh, what Ariel had mentioned before, we also see the dangers. And for example, in the case of climate change and rising sea levels, it will be interesting to see if the very efficient governmental apparatus that have, in a sense, a, a anchor and frame the economic and cultural rise of these cities would be would be up to the challenge that they are facing, in part because they are coastal, they are in low, often in low-lying areas, and they have, they, they are f- facing this, and it would be something for the future to investigate. We advance no predictions about that, but point out that this is one of the existential challenges that cities that have risen ro- so fast uh, in the recent past will have to confront in the future.
0: Well, that's a powerful note to end on. Um, unfortunately, we have to, uh, as we're up on time. Are there any other concluding thoughts that you'd like to leave us before we wrap up?
1: I What I would say is that, um, um, as you can see, uh, there are really so many fascinating aspects of this, this story. And... Uh, what I, I find to be very, very interesting in terms of the work that we've done is that um, it changes the script. Uh, as we have been saying, um, these are stories that um, had not been told before, um, and, uh, and, and they force us to look at the world and to look at the global economy in a very different way through a different lens and uh, and and this is uh, i find this uh, honestly really really interesting and uh, and every day uh, i see that uh, when we talk about this study we find uh, new aspects to it there are new dimensions it's uh, very very rich and um, and we have been uh, presenting the book around the world and um, uh, it's really rewarding uh, to see that uh, one can uh, be in miami uh, pittsburgh um, kathmandu and um, uh, many other cities around the world these are just one some of the places where we have recently presented the book and we find audiences who are extremely interested in the argument that we develop.
2: I have, I endure, I agree with that, and have really nothing, nothing uh, of greater significance to add. Thanks for the uh, in, the interview, and I we hope that this this simply that this book will be will serve as a stimulus for new generations of uh, scholars. Of uh, thinkers and so on to approach the issue of globality, of uh, urbanization and cities in uh, in in our uh, in, cha- in changing but in, but very
0: interrelated uh, world. thank you for that. Um, there's there's so many other questions I could ask, but I guess if you want to find out more, listeners, you'll have to find the book. Um. Which by the way, where can they find the book and where can they find you if they need to, both of you?
1: So the book uh, uh, has been Emerging Global Cities. Uh, um, It has been published by Columbia University Press. So uh, it can be bought through their website and of course, you know, through Amazon and other websites. It's uh, very um, simple to access the book. Uh, and, of course, through a number of local libraries. Uh, and um, in order to reach out to us, um, uh, just um, Google us. Uh, I'm at the University of Pittsburgh, and so there it's very simple to find my contact information. And uh, and the same with Alejandro.
0: OK, great. And last, last question. Um, Is there and are you hope, sorry, are you hoping to build on the ideas you explored in the book in any way? Is there any new material you have out and are currently working on that you would like to share at this time before we close out?
2: Well, we are going to, that is we have, we completed our analysis of this and, uh, and like to see how, how, how things develop from now. We have no particular plans at present to do a sequels we did a sequel on our book on miami by doing identify the three global cities and in my case at least i am hopeful that uh, uh, the ideas in the book and uh, would be sufficiently provocative and important both for policymakers and scholars uh, to follow through uh, we did we more than a, than a cookbook, more than a recipe for success, we actually are pointing out to the dangers, to the difficulties that 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 face this global city, this trio three, this three of cities, as well as many others uh, in terms of uh, climate change uh, uh, and economic inequality. So these are challenges that are worth uh, studying and pursuing in the future, and we hope that those who come after us would uh, would uh, would take it up and and carry and extend the analysis that we have we have been able to provide.
1: And I would like to add a final thought. Um, of course, we continue to engage academic audiences in this conversation, but um, now uh, we are mostly focused uh, on engaging with non-academic audiences, uh, that is uh, talking to policymakers, um, to chambers of, com- of commerce, uh, different types of uh, private sector groups, non-profits. Uh, it's very, very interesting the kind of reception that we are finding when We discuss this argument in all different types of constituencies. And again, as I mentioned, uh, an opinion piece um, on this Messi and Miami uh, New Deal, uh, we are also, uh, through media, um, reaching out wider audiences. uh, And people are really interested in uh, in these stories. Uh, So this is another... um, a pretty in in some way I don't know I would say unexpected dimension of our work uh, published by a uh, top university press um, you know usually we think about an academic audience but uh, the book uh, the way in which it's written is very accessible and and again we are finding that it's a compelling story and uh, and so very very different types of groups and people are, really interested in learning more about what we talk about in the book.
0: Well, it, it's always great when, you know, the book um, sort of gets off the shelf and is actually, um, you know, uh, made into practice. So that, that's great news to hear. Well, I think um, we're at the end of the conversation. Uh, it was a fantastic uh, discussion, Alejandro and Ariel. Um, Thank you so much. And if at any point in time there is a sequel or there's more work you'd like to share, I would love to have um, either both or either of you on. So so wish you all the best and goodbye. Goodbye.
1: We will let you know. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.